Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com biggerpockets. Hey everyone, welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, with Henry Washington today. How's it going? What's up, buddy? Happy to be here, man. Love, love doing these types of shows with you. Yeah, this one was fun. So we today are bringing on Jay Chang, who is into co-living, which is a strategy, a real estate investing strategy that I'm fascinated by. It seems kind of new, and I knew nothing about it up until like two weeks ago and really wanted to have someone on tell us about it. So what do you think of the interview? Uh, I think it's I think it's a really really cool concept that you know as you'll hear in the episode uh, that I just think is going to take off at some point because the market's calling for it. Um, but it's really really early, and I mean there's a lot of stigma I think tied to it right now because there's only one thing really people know to compare it to, which is like college dorm living. But when you look at these facilities and when you look at what they're actually offering, it's way cooler than that. Yeah. It seems really nice. Did you stay, when you come to Denver for bigger pockets, did you stay at that place, the Catbird, by any chance? No, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. There's like this hotel there it kind of reminds me of, but it's just like a really cool model, really efficient use of space. Um, you'll hear from Jay, but you get way more rent per square foot than a normal rental. Uh, property management costs are a little bit higher, but there's some really interesting economics behind this. Uh, and I totally agree with you that like whoever figures out how to do this well is going to do extremely well. So I think this is a fascinating uh, interview and we're going to get into that in a minute. But first, I wanted to talk to you and ask your opinion about something. Uh-oh. Yes, I know. That's what you're here for. <laughs> we just want your opinion. Uh, so 
I have been hearing, at least on Instagram, it's from some people that since the beginning of the year, there's been a uptick in activity in the housing market. Like, and, and we're recording this. What is it? January nineteenth. So just the couple, couple first few weeks of the year um, that people have been uptick, and now there is some data out that's suggesting that there is more mortgage purchase applications. So one of the things I love to look at to like as a proxy for demand in the housing market is the Mortgage Bankers Association releases this data set of like how many people applied for a mortgage last week. And it's up like 25% over like October and November, which is not normally what happens in January. So it's kind of considerable. So I was wondering, cause I'm over here in Amsterdam and I'm just reading spreadsheets. Like, what are you seeing? Like, is this, is this real? Um, you know, is it real nationwide? Probably. And here's here's my theory, right? Here's what I think is happening. We talked about this, man, a while back uh, on, on the market. Um, what I think you're starting to see is, you know, call it normalization, right? Interest rates were no- low and people got used to them. And then over the past six months, they've been going up and going up. And, and now recently... You know, flattening out, I wouldn't say they're flattening out, but they're slowing down the speed at which they're increasing, right? And typically your your mortgage rates, like even though the, the Fed's raising the rate, the mortgage rates are still sitting around anywhere, what, six and a half, seven percent, somewhere in there? Yeah, they're actually, some of them I saw today were like in the low sixes. I mean, they're fluctuating a lot right now. So it really depends what, what day you're listening. But yeah, in like the mid low sixes. And I think- What's happening is people are just starting to understand this is what mortgage rates are now. Mm-hmm. Like they're not, they're starting to get it out of the mindset of expecting them to come down to two, three, or four again and realizing that they're probably going to do the opposite again and go up. And so if I want to buy or need to buy, because not everybody is buying just because they want to. Sometimes they have to move for work. Sometimes they've got to expand for a larger family. Sometimes they're shrinking because they have, you know, their 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 people are moving out. Right? There's all these life situations that are telling people that they need to move, and they're probably just looking and saying, "Well, this is what housing costs now, so I will buy what I can afford." Yeah, that 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 makes total sense. I think that's a very good theory. Yeah, it's just like. It's so funny how your brain gets anchored to like these ideas. Like, oh my God, like we were like 4%, like, like a year ago. Like, oh my God, it's crazy, 4%. Now we're like, yeah, six and a half. It's so good. <laughs> it's just like, it's so funny. Uh, but I think it's, it's honestly better for the housing market in the long run to have rates in the four, you know, fives probably. That's like a neutral rate. Uh, and, I I don't know if it's going to happen, but like right now it looks like that's where we're heading. You know, there's like this sort of perfect storm for uh, a recessionary risk plus lower inflation, which both put downward pressure on mortgage rates. And if that is, I think the housing market is going to bottom earlier than people thought. And we are not going to see that big of a price decline Um, that, you know, that's if mortgage rates keep going down, which is a big if, but I think there is case for the mortgage, the housing market outperforming expectations from even just a couple of months ago. I mean, pre-COVID rates were at 6% and people didn't bat an eye. Still bought houses. Still bought houses. They were a lot cheaper then though. So it, it really That's like affordability, it, the affordability <laughs> is really still an issue. But um, 
I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to watch. But anyway, glad uh, it's interesting to hear what you said. I, I saw um, someone in uh, Seattle said they they got more views on their two open houses in the beginning of this year than they did in the whole fourth quarter combined, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah. So it's just a, something to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, I, I think this is defying my expectations so far this year. So something to keep an eye on. But uh, glad to get your opinion on this. With that, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with Jay Chang, who's going to teach us all about a new strategy called co-living. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal Do Not Call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Jay Chang, welcome to On The Market. Thanks for being here. Uh, Good morning, Dave and Harry. Thank you for having me. 
Could you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your involvement in real estate investing? Yeah, of course. Um, right now, I'm currently working at AAA as a director of real estate, and I've been doing real estate since I graduated. So about eight years. Um, I did two years of after graduation, I did two years of construction management, working on high rises in downtown LA. The building was called Metropolis, and then I worked on some um, high-end hotels like the Edition Hotel in West Hollywood. And then after that, I really wanted to get into real estate development, so I joined CIM Group. I was there for three years, and then I, by 2017, 2018, I started hearing about co-living, and it's not really a real, not a new concept, but it was getting more and more popular. And at the time, there were big co-living uh, operators like Ollie, Star City, and Common. And so I was always, that really captivated my attention. So, you know, two years ago, I a, a little, little more than a year ago, I joined the Triplink to do real estate development. And they primarily focus on student housing and co-living. So that's where I am today. Yeah, man, that's that's pretty cool. I was kind of looking into to some of the co-living communities in preparation for this. And it's it. I mean, to be honest, it was a completely new concept to me. So I'm sure it's a new concept to a lot of the listeners. Can you kind of define co-living for us and tell us a little bit about what that really means? Yeah, of course. You know, it, uh, to put it simply, some people will just say it's uh, you just had roommates. <laughs> but it's it's a, <laughs> it's a lot more than that because you know it it can be designed in a way that is that allows privacy um has more consumers in mind but to, how do I define co-living share space share common area what we what we focus on though is having a private bathroom for each of our, our tenants because that's where usually tenants can um into issues with with each other so co-living, share space. When someone described it to me, the first time I heard about it was a few weeks ago. Someone explained it to me and I was like, oh, we got to find an expert to bring on the show. So thanks for joining us, Jay. But they basically described it to me as like a college dorm. I mean, it sounds a little like you, you do some different stuff like a college. I None of my college dorms had a private bathroom. But, um, you know, it, it sounds like that's this general idea, right? Like everyone sort of has their own room, has their own space but there are shared amenities and it sounds like there's different models, right? Like some of them maybe have their own kitchen and some of them have shared kitchen. Some have their own bathroom is a shared bathroom. Is that a reasonable way to describe it? Yeah. A lot of people put it compared to college dorm room, but I don't, yeah, it's much, much better than that in many ways. I, when I was at UCLA, I, I, I lived with two other people in the same room. Like they're actual roommates, just three, three adults, living like a 200 square feet uh, room. <laughs> but um, why is better? Yeah, like you said, they're, they're, we have the, the, the private bathroom. And also in our new projects on the development, we put a lot of sound insulation and there is a private uh, electronic lock on at each bedroom. So there's, there's privacy, a lot of privacy. You, you cannot, it's almost like a private studio in apartment, but the kitchen is shared. And a lot of that also has to do with zoning. Sometimes zoning doesn't allow you to build that many units in a building. So by building 
less units and more bedroom per unit. That's one way to to get around it and allow you to build higher density. I mean, I agree. Like when I heard co-living, when I started looking into this, the, the, the thing that stuck in my head was also college dorm. But then when I started to look at some of the the properties that you know you guys are building or are associated with, like college dorm is the last thing that came to my mind once I started seeing how beautiful these things are. So kind of kind of what what are some of the you know what are some of the myths around co living that or the stigmas around co living and then how are like you uh, kind of dispelling those myths? What what are what are the benefits or things that people get from co living in the way that you guys do it versus what maybe people are thinking in their minds. The probably thing is the kitchen is dirty. The the flooring is old, but they're all new projects, new buildings. Um, we have tour with a lot of a lot of some of the bank banks come to look at our jobs and they say, "Wow, I can't believe this is what college students get to live nowadays." <laughs> and it's just brand new, brand new kitchen. We, we provide them a, a kitchen set. Uh, kitchenware um when they first move in and the common area is clean some we have a new project here that is a little bit more denser a little denser so we clean that every every day we clean the amenity area the kitchen is sparkling clean um of course that, that's not for every property depends some properties are just cleaned twice or three times a week um yeah and then in terms of amenities there we provide amenities for our communities so we build in areas that are close to school close to metro station so they're very conveniently located to each other and when we do that you know we don't think about each building as an independent building we we build communities like uh, sorry not com- um, communities but also amenities like a study room a game lounge they have like a pool table and ping pong table in there Sometimes they that we host events. Um, we have yoga room, things just things like that for people to to get together. When I look at this, um, I kind of look at it from from two lenses, right? It's the lens of like if who is going to live in this space and what what are their expectations? What do they get? And then I also look at it from the lens of an investor, which is like what am I going to provide them? And then what does that mean for me in terms of expenses, right? So when you look at a community like this and you provide this co-living, it typically means you are, you're providing these amenities. So it sounds like you provide cleaning um, frequently. It sounds like uh, these places typically come furnished. Is that true? That's true. That's true. Not all operators do that, but we do. Okay. Right. So from uh, from a, a tenant perspective, that's a cool uh, a cool thing to be able to think about. But as an investor, um, it sounds like there's probably a lot more expenses that come with this. And then you offset those expenses by density. Right. Allowing building more essentially more units because you're just renting rooms. Is that am I on the right track there? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for summarizing that for 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 us. So as a renter, the main benefit, you know, that we haven't touched base on is, is obviously the rent. Like in, El- in Los Angeles right now, if you were to live in a new studio in a decent place that's built at least 2000 um, a month for like a 450 square, 
square feet studio. So you're paying basically $4 minimum a foot. Now that's ridiculous. You know, like what is the starting salary for a college grad? You can't afford that. And right now in 2022, 40% of renters are spending more than 35% of the income on rent. And, you know, the way the economy is trending and how technology is getting better and better, a lot of the middle class is getting displaced and it's kind of become more and more unaffordable. No one's going to buy a house unless your parents can help, right? So that's why co-living is so such a popular choice. And also it's very conveniently located in good locations. You know, we're not going to put it in the middle of the suburb. We put it next to grocery stores, a nice grocery store like Air One or, or Whole Food, or we put it next to Metro Station or even a hospital or hospital workers. So there are a lot of tons of opportunities. And in, in, in respect to uh, investors, yeah, it, it really comes down to the bottom line. Of course, it's higher expenses, but ultimately, because of the density, even though each person is paying less on rent, the price per square footage per rent you can get on each each property is much higher. Um, so if you're getting $4 a foot on a studio, you can probably get up to $5 a foot. So that's a 25% difference. Pretty impressive. And what about on the renter side? Like what is the, can you quantify the savings for the average renter? Like how much are they saving living in a co-working, a co-living arrangement rather than in a studio, for example? Yeah, at least 30%. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Pretty substantial. That's incredible. And are the leases the same? Like are are you signing one-year leases or are they different in any way? Uh, it depends. Most of the time we sign a one-year lease, but I know some some properties we do like a short-term lease, like three months, six months. Um, I know Common does three months, but when you do a three-month lease, they're going to jack up the price by you know, 20, 30% higher because there's just higher turnover and vacancies. That, that was actually going to be my next question about turnover and vacancies. Do you do you find that people treat this as sort of a short-term option until they can find a more conventional living arrangement? Or how is your re- lease renewal rate uh, with co-living? Yeah, most of our properties on student housing, so the renewal rate is, is less than 50%, but that's because most people... You know, they, they graduate from school and a lot of them are master. They're just here for a year. We also have a lot of international students um, coming here. We have, yeah, we have a marketing team in China, actually, to 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 market that. But yeah, to answer your question, for sure, co-living is more attractive to young professionals and students who are just here for, the, for like a couple of years. Let's say you're moving to a new city, you don't know anybody. It is a really great way to get plugged in. So we don't want that to, we don't obviously don't want tenants to leave. And we also understand that not everyone wants to share a kitchen indefinitely. Mm-hmm. So we, a lot of the properties we're developing right now, it has a mixture of co-living and, and studios, one bedrooms, mm. you know, personally, I wouldn't live with five other people. Um, even though I'm really big on co-living, if I was living, <laughs> If I were moving to a new city, I would. But I think we can all agree on, you know, first, everyone needs a place to live. And second, everyone wants a community. So even though you move out of co-living suite, you go into a studio, one bedroom, 
you can still enjoy the amenities and the community that you once was part of. You graduate from the co-living and you just move up, you move up a floor, right? To like yeah. the nicer apartment. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, I can definitely see the appeal of it from the renter side. Uh, I mean, for saving 30% on your rent, honestly, sharing a kitchen doesn't seem like that big of a concession. Uh, my big question is like, how difficult is the property management for you on something like this? It is difficult, very difficult. However, we hire a resident manager, not really hire, we will get them uh, some discounts and just help us. Uh, you know, uh, most of the issues are related to maybe some cleaning or roommate conflicts. So we give them some discount on rent and then just help us uh, mitigate the issues. But to be honest, if you have higher sound insulation, um, we add resilient channels between the walls. That's typically, you don't do that unless it's like a, a studio in an apartment. Um, so it's better soundproof. And then what if an amenity area is clean, there's really no that much issue. Um, and plus you have your private bathroom. You, you keep yourself bathroom as clean as you want. So. Yeah, private private bathroom has to be has to be the huge win to keeping the. We used to call them uh, in the corporate world. We would call them people issues. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> private bathrooms got to be go a long way to keeping the people issues at a minimum. And then, like if yeah, if you're professionally cleaning the common areas and the kitchens, because uh, every roommate issue I had was typically around somebody leaving their dirty dishes in the sink. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what are what what are the other you know, do you have any thoughts on what the additional cost of property management is? Like, are you still, I don't know if you employ your team uh, full time or do you play, do you outsource it? Oh, we, we do it in-house. We're not really charging more than an average property management. We're actually cheaper than, than Graystar. And we try to automate a lot of the, a lot of the issues. Triple A actually has a tech arm that that works on a lot of automation and we're building a technology. So AAA has three main functions. The first function is, is you know, the, the tech arm that I discussed. Um, and then the second arm is the property management. You know, we, we manage all our properties that we build and we manage for others, for big developers like Jameson um, and, and Wiseman. So we have about 2,000 plus, I think 2,000 units in K-Down that we're managing for other people. And then, yeah. And then the third arm is what I do. We do real estate development. So sometimes we code GP with other developers, but most of the time we own it outright. And then we do the design entitlement, permitting, and then construction. And then we, we rent. Sometimes we exit. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about you know, obviously there's going to be a higher turnover if you're going to have a student, a student base. So, so when you're like underwriting these, like if you're going to do a new property, do you underwrite them? Like what vacancy percentage are you underwriting? Like what are you expecting these to do consistently from a vacancy perspective? Oh, vacancy rate near USC is actually quite low. It's um about 2%. Oh, wow. What? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, it's uh there there is definitely turnover, but a lot of people join every year and we lease it out. Wow. What about what about uh maintenance costs? Uh you know, 
in my mind, I keep thinking this business model is sort of a mashup between rental properties and short-term rentals because you have sort of the cleaning element of short-term rentals. You have the furnished, at least for you as an operator, not again, like Jay said, not, not every co-living operator does this, but you have furnished parts. Uh, and from my experience in short-term rentals, these places get used pretty hard. Uh, and there's a lot of need to replace equipment and furniture. Do you see that as well in co-living? Yeah, for sure. There's definitely a higher maintenance cost. It, com it comes at a cost. Our expenses also is about, I would say, 10% higher than than than, than an average traditional apartment because of the repair, maintenance, um, and also cleaning. And we also include utilities as part of our expense. So, yeah. So, you can really just come in with a luggage and move into a newly built apartment for 30% below studio. Right. Wow. And then in terms of replacement, we, we started to use like higher grade uh, materials. So they are more durable. Some, some of them are like commercial grade, better paint, more durable paint, all that, all that stuff. Uh, one thing that's difficult when you're managing a prop, a co-living property is that it's hard for you to do maintenance. Um, you know, when you do a studio, someone moves out, it's easy for you to go in and repaint the whole thing or do all the cleaning, but the, in co-living, there are other residents in there. So it's better to use a better quality material so you don't need to do any extensive maintenance in, you know, frequently. So you're budgeting that on the front end in your, you know, your acquisition costs, right? Because you're going to have to build it with the higher quality materials. How does that work? Or said differently, can you take something existing and convert it to co-living or are you, are you typically only doing new construction and designing it for co-living ground up? You can, you can in some places, um, like, but the layout, like old apartment is really hard to do. Uh, if you were to convert office, I think there's definitely room to do that. The office has big open space, but if you're converting an apartment that the old apartment, Probably they have a bigger two bedroom. Sometimes they have like more than a thousand square feet per bedroom. For I mean, for two bedroom, you can probably put that to a three bedroom, but you still add in one extra room. And also, it's really hard for you to add plumbing. You know, then that that kind of you, you cannot add a private bathroom without significant cost. So it's not really worth it. Um, yeah, and also. The way we look at it is we want it to be compact, but also not too compact. So we have a minimum, you know, like for like a three bedroom, we try to keep it around 900 square feet. So it's like 300 square feet per room. When we say 300 square feet, that includes the common area, the corridor and the bedrooms. Yeah, the entire unit. Jay, it sounds like you you don't do this, but have you seen any operators who do this with single family homes? I mean, I guess that's more called yeah bungalow. Oh, bungalow. Yeah, I guess that's more called like rent by the room. But yeah, so so what's their model? Their model is they find a single family house owner and then they master lease it and rent it out. Um, yeah, I know they also got some funding and started to buy a lot of single family houses. I have looked at kind of did, <laughs> I was interested in seeing how much money they're actually making for 
single family house, and I did some quick underwriting. I just don't think them they can make much money from single family house because it, the maintenance is really high, and you know you can't really scale. There, there. Each location has five, six bedroom max, but for us, each location can be forty, hundred plus bedrooms. So it's harder to to do that effectively with single family house. I think this absolutely, I mean, I can totally see this making sense in markets that are expensive and have like high college density, like, uh, you know, LA's, New York's, right? These major cities. What other areas um, do you think this model fits or makes sense in? I mean, you hit it right on. A lot, exactly what you said. To be honest, co-living will only make sense in the unaffordable market, in the key gate market, like New York, LA. San Francisco, San Francisco is not really a great market right now, but <laughs> pre-COVID, it, was, it would have been an excellent market. Um, I would say this, so as an apartment developer, traditional apartment developer, a lot of the matrix they look at is the income ratio, the income to rent ratio. So they want the tenants to obviously be able to afford higher rent. So they want the rent to not be not be too high so so they can afford it um but for us it's it's different we actually look at it in reverse we look at areas that are unaffordable um it's kind of a different 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 target market yeah so if people wanted to do that calculation for themselves and identify a market where they could consider co-living what, how do you do that calculation? What, what metrics do you use? Um, and do you have any advice for our listeners on how they can do it? Yeah. You, in a good market that in an affordable market, usually the income to rent ratio is at least three X. So yeah, if you make a hundred thousand a year, your rent a year is about 30,000. So if the income to rent ratio is less than three like less than 2.5 then it's a signal that it's not that it's not that affordable and they're, they're spending more than 30 30 percent of them uh, their income are rent yeah but you know in 2020 actually i i, I said earlier about affordability that the 23 percent of renters actually is now spending 50 percent or more of their income on rent now that's crazy wow 23 percent like you know it's a quarter of us are spending all of it on rent. So so if someone, let's say from an investor perspective, they're hearing this and they're going, you know, this might be something I'm interested in investing in, getting into, learning about, like how how does someone, you know, what options are there for people? Are there funds that that they can invest in or are there companies that they can talk to who are doing these kinds of things? Like how does one go about getting into this space from an investor's perspective? Yeah, you can't, you cannot invest in a REIT. A couple of challenges with co-living right now is it's not considered investment grade because it's a new type of property. And it's not investment grade because you cannot repackage a loan and sell it to like, um, to, to Fannie Mae, like for agency loan. So you have, it's harder to get financing uh, we, we had to work with um, like local smaller banks. So your, your, your question was uh, how can they invest, right? So yeah, they, they cannot invest really in on a public REIT. Um, but if they're a developer or they're interested in investing, 
they can reach out to to some co-living developers such as TripleLink. Uh, we actually have a investor um, portal. I really don't know how else you could invest in co-living. Um, another way you can do that is some people they they buy their own house and it's basically just house hacking. You know, you, you rent it out in a small scale. Yeah, it's just like they call it like rent by the room or yeah, or just house hacking a single family home. Like you can definitely do something like that. Because I've read some stuff about uh, rent by the room where you get similar premium on rent per square foot or per bedroom, you know, a 20%, 25% increase in rent by doing that with a corresponding headache in property management. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, it's uh, it makes sense financially, but you know, if does is it really worth it to have five other roommates with you and then you have to like clean a common area? <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it depends. Depends. It depends on how much rent is. Yeah, I'm just remembering the houses I lived in with friends in college, and it just seems like it, like it was fun back then. But man, the property manager must have hated us. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Jay, are, are there syndications available? Like, if if you're an accredited investor, like, do you, are there development projects that investors could do co living? You know, invest in co living passively. Yeah, I think I think there's not that many co living developers. But if you go to network local lo- networking events, you might be able to meet some. Um, yeah, we 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 do some syndications. Um, other, dev- uh, we know a few other small developers in the area also doing syndication. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, Jay, thank you so much for, for being here. Uh, we really appreciate you sharing this. I I've learned a lot. Uh, I think this is super compelling. I do want to learn how to like, if there's syndications available or maybe Henry and I are going to go in on our first one. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, this has been super helpful. I think it's a really cool, um, idea that, clearly there's going to be demand for this. Like that, that part seems just so obvious to me that this seems like a cool place to live for way less than what you would pay elsewhere. Um, so good on you for, for being in this really cool, uh, industry. Is there anywhere people can connect with you if they want to learn more about this? Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, you can contact me on bigger pockets. It's, uh, J J Chang. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Bigger probably will have most of the the links that you would need to contact me directly. I love that. You're just sending people to Bigger Pockets. That's maybe the first time we've ever had that, but <laughs> as an employee of Bigger Pockets, we really appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Thanks, man. Big thanks to Jay for joining us. Henry, what'd you think? Man, it's a pretty unique space and you know, I, I do think that demand for this kind of living in those expensive markets are just going to increase. It's like the the market conditions right now are saying that this is something people need, right? The interest rates are higher. The uh, inflation is crazy. And so not only is it costing people a lot to rent in these places, but gosh, groceries too. So if they can save 30% and have to share a kitchen, I think people would be willing to sacrifice that. Totally. I, I, I feel like there's just going to be huge demand for this. First, like saving 30% on your rent is enormous, right? Like we talk to people all the time, I'm sure about if you want to get into real estate, low money down, like what's the best way to do it? Either house hack, reduce your living expenses. This is a great way to reduce your living expenses. So 
when I went into the show, I was like, man, this is going to be interesting for investors. And it is, but it's also like to invest in. But I think it's also interesting for aspiring investors to like consider living in one of these things because you probably save some money and then invest in real estate. But I also think like the the element having, I think you've done this too, moved to some new cities in my life where I don't know a lot of people. I think the community element is kind of cool. Like it, it reminds me of like a hostile environment, right? Yeah, but like gorgeous. Yeah, they're really nice. But they're more open to just like now, you know, like going to a common area, hanging out, having a beer, uh, doing like that. And it's in a super nice place. So I could imagine it being really popular. I mean, and let's be real. I don't want to clean my kitchen anyway. No. So if I can use a kitchen that somebody else is going to go clean <laughs> and I can go downstairs and have a beer with all my neighbors, I'm in. That's so I'm true. In. What's the weirdest or worst place you live? <laughs> oh, gosh, man. my The very first dorm I ever lived in was probably the weirdest place I ever lived because it was like... It's it was like if a sleazy Motel Six was a dorm room and we had this like shared living space and it was supposed to be furnished, but it was really just like a futon as a couch and <laughs> and then like uh, a TV stand with no TV on it and like shag carpet. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I had a and then I had a bedroom with bunk beds that I had a that I had a roommate in. So that was uh Oh God. That sounds not that fun. not my favorite place to live. I I bought my first house uh, with three partners, but one of the partners and I were roommates at the time, and we were going to house hack it. That was our plan. We were going to move in, but then like Denver was starting to do well, and we we're like, man, we could get way more for rent than like what we would pay in our own rent. So we we're like, why would we house hack? And his grandmother had just passed away, and she lived in a uh retirement community and the market was still like falling like crazy and his mom was like like you guys just pay the utilities take that take care of the house you can live there but it was like a 55 and over community so we couldn't tell anyone so we just we moved in in the middle of the night <laughs> just lived in this house we were like it's gonna be six months it's gonna be six months but it was free so we wound up living there for three years i li- and i lived in the basement so i lived in his dead grandma's basement in a retirement community for three years <laughs> did, you, did you just like go to the community hall and like destroy elderly citizens at ping pong <laughs> crushing him at yeah. ping pong and pineapple board yeah <laughs> yeah exactly there was like no community area i guess there was a little bit but we never went but we were just like people loved it actually like we were just carry their boxes then <laughs> just like be like the the young guys who could pick up stuff <laughs> we just did it and like later and later, we were just like throwing ragers there because it was like <laughs> they had this like nice outside space, and we would just throw these huge parties there. Did was... your neighbors come? <laughs> They'd wave, you know. <laughs> but, no, but unfortunately, we never got them in. But yeah, that was a weird place to live. So, long story short, probably would have preferred <laughs> to, to live at uh, to live in one of these co-living spaces. I don't know. Sounds like it was pretty awesome. Yeah. In retrospect, it was. It was fun looking back on it sometimes i was like what the hell am i doing with my life <laughs> but it saved a lot of money anyway 
I don't now. I've, now I've lost my whole train of thought. So let's get out of here. <laughs> Thanks for being here, man, and thank you all for listening. Hopefully, this is interesting to you. I, I think it's going to be a big trend. I guess that that's the last thing is like I was a little disappointed that there's not really like an easy way to invest in it right now. It sounds like if you're if you're just a regular investor and not a developer, right? But I mean, typically, this is when you should be looking for those opportunities, right? Because somebody's going to get in early on figuring out a way to make this available to the public to invest in. So I would I would try to be the early adopter because the demand is going to be there. Totally. It's like every time I do one of these shows like this one and particularly like the 3D printed houses one, it's like it's not easy, but whoever figures this out is going to make a killing off of it. So if you're interested, you know, follow Jay, follow some of the other uh, operators. Maybe you can learn from them or, or get in on it. But Hope this was helpful to you. We always try and bring you these types of new investment strategies that are sort of cutting edge because, you know, that's sort of what we're about. So we'd love to hear if these types of episodes are helpful to you. So if you have any thoughts on this kind of episode, hit me up on Instagram where I'm at the Data Deli or Henry. You are at the Henry Washington, right? That's correct. All right. So let us know what you think. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you on Monday for another episode of On the Market. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. And a big thanks to the entire BiggerPockets team. The content on the show On the Market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market, it's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that, or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.